welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. Let's turn to the book of Nehemiah. And the book of Nehemiah is, um, last week we opened up with chapter 1, and it's about living our best life that God has for us. And the best life that God has for us and for you is a life where His presence will be and where it will bless you, it will bless your circle of influence, and it will bless other people. In fact, um, today is your best life, but you can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. And how God has intended it for us to live the life that he has, it requires that we're involved, that God is involved, but also that we live our life in such a way that there's favor that also comes from other people so that God can open doors and we can live that life. Now, you can live your best life if you define it as only what you want to accumulate and that it's just me against the world. You're welcome to do that, but it will not have the lasting impact for God that it wants, and it won't have God's blessing and God's touch on that. But you and I have been made in the image of God, and with that comes certain things that are so wonderfully important to us that as His image, God wants His name to dwell with you, how many are aware that he wants his name to dwell with you because as the people of God, he's called us to witness to this world around us what it's like to walk in relationship with God. And so his, his, as we order our steps after him, his presence and his name literally dwells with us and to, give, to bring to us his aid, his help, and his blessing on our lives. And last week, as an overview, we opened up with Nehemiah chapter 1, and Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, and um, uh, the cupbearer was, that was very, very select company indeed, uh, but they're the ones who brought the food and the drink to the king, and, and uh, they, were to, uh, <laughs> they were to test things out first, make sure there was no poisons there. Uh, because there was uh, often there was conspiracies to get rid of a king, and Nehemiah became a trusted, trusted aide to King Artaxerxes. And in uh, we see a progression in chapter one. It was about Nehemiah and what God put in his heart. But as we get into chapter two, we begin to see this unfold: that God's plan, His best life, is something that requires other people and the help of God to accomplish. And so there's Nehemiah, and then we're introduced to how the king Artaxerxes offers his help and how the hand of God was on Nehemiah. And Nehemiah chapter 2 ends with actually the people of Jerusalem now saying, let us arise and build. And how many know that saying is true that he that thinketh he followeth or leadeth, and no one followeth, only taketh a walk, okay? And so uh, it, what God has for your life uh, requires for you and for me 
the help of the Lord, but also the help of other people. We can't do this thing alone. So we're going to go to um, a map right now. How many like how many like maps, or you like to see things? And I'm I'm going to I'll use the pointer to go over here. If you guys, I think you can see it, but uh, th- this is this is sort of the scenario that was there. Palestine was right here, Jerusalem, and it had been attacked down in here uh, from Babylonia by Nebuchadnezzar. And this is known as the Fertile Crescent. It goes over this way. And, and you see how it narrows down right here. And um, where Nehemiah was, was in Babylonia, which is about 60 miles away from present-day Baghdad. And the Babylonian Empire, the Persians, the Medes, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, historically in Bible times, were fighting for domination of the world. And right in the middle of this thing is little Israel, right here. And what, flo- what came through this were three major routes that came right through this little strip of land, and the most important one was called the King's Highway. And the King's Highway connected Egypt, a center of power, went over the Sinai Peninsula, northward up this way through Damascus, over towards Assyria, down through Mesopotamia, and then would end in Babylon. And this is why, this is why that, that either Babylon or Assyria or the Egyptians were always invading Israel because whoever controlled this highway right here would, would have domination of the, of, the, of the world at that time. And I just think it's interesting that of all the places that God decided to plant his name and his people, of all the pe- places in the world, is this little strip of land right there. Isn't that, I think that's just fascinating to me. And so that, as you read the word of God, that'll help you understand uh, the situation they were in and why they were always being threatened. Um, but along with this, what's really important is, as you read the book of Nehemiah, the world saw Israel as a little tiny nation to vanquish and to control. That's what the world saw them as, is that they, they were not that powerful. But God has a, had another perspective, and God's narrative is the eternal narrative. Everyone hear me out of this. Those kingdoms have come and gone, but while the world saw them as being relatively small and weak, God saw them as his people where he would plant his name, and they were the apple of his eye. And so regardless of what we might see, feel, or think, God has a narrative of reality that lasts for eternity, and his narrative is the one that really counts. And I want to encourage you in your own life Regardless of what things appear to be, God has another reality that's going on, and that's what we're going to see unfold and how it unfolds in this book of Nehemiah, and particularly in chapter 2. Nehemiah, as the cupbearer, had this unique access and rare privilege. Um, He was a person of great, great uh, wisdom and spirituality, of discernment, of paying attention to the details 
of serving and of respecting the authority of the king, even though he was in a strange land. And he was so uh, well thought of and served so well that when he would ask the king to send him back to Jerusalem, and while the king, no doubt Artaxerxes, would have, I believe, he normally would have said, no, I don't want you to rebuild that place. We've, des we've destroyed that place once. They're demoralized. They, they, uh, the gates of the city have been burned down. And the gates of the city, that's what controlled traffic and let people in. And the gates spoke of the strength of a city. And so the wall, a lot of the wall had been destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar a couple generations before. The gates of the city were burned. There were no doors Enemies could come in and out. There were no standing armies. And the surrounding governors who were loyal to King Artaxerxes, they did not want Jerusalem to be rebuilt. And so it would have been perfectly understandable if King Artaxerxes had said to Nehemiah, nah, no, you're not going back there to rebuild. But it was a mark. There's two things. There's a mark of how much he trusted Nehemiah, but secondly, how God uses the the heart of a king to make decisions that have spiritual consequences that fit into God's narrative even when the king himself is not aware of what he's doing. And so, in fact, you know, God's word says that the, God turns the heart of the king like a river in its course. And so praise God that God's at work. Amen? Praise his name. Okay, so uh, in, in the... In Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah had prayed, and now it was time for action. And uh, we're going to begin. I won't read all the scriptures today. A lot of it I'll tell the story, the background behind it. But we're going to go in your notes to Nehemiah uh, chapter, uh, in the notes rather, if you'd open those up, and I encourage you to take notes. The first thing is that to live our best life, there comes a time for action, and Nehemiah's faith rested on four things. He prayed this prayer, and God said, Nehemiah 1.9, If you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the remote part of the heavens. The remote part of the heavens means the furthest horizons, the furthest parts of the world. And being 900 miles away from Jerusalem... That was the furthest parts of their known world. It went from Egypt over to Babylonia, and that, I don't know what that would have been, maybe 11, 1,200 miles as far as the, uh, traversing the Fertile Crescent. But he said, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I've chosen to cause my name to dwell. Notice this, that God has a plan for our life, our best life, is God's plan is for his name to dwell his name to dwell in your life and what he's asked you to do. And that, that can be in our church, his name, he wants it to dwell here, in your marriage, in your home, in your, with your children, your family. It could be in your work or might, God might have a call on your life to do something big for him or he calls you into ministry, whatever it is. God asks us to do things like he asked Nehemiah and his, Nehemiah's faith rested on this, that God wanted his name to dwell there. And so then he said this, 
They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today. Grant him compassion before this man. And then he says, now I was a cupbearer to the king. That's what he adds, cupbearer to the king. So Nehemiah's faith rested on this. The first thing was God's will for his people. Nehemiah was absolutely convinced of God's will for his people. And I want to ask this, in your life, what is God's will for you? It could be something great that where everyone will see, but it could be something, it might be your marriage, or it might be in, in the, where you are as a single person, the job that God's given to you. What is God's will for you? God has a will for your life. And so to know that God has a will and that he's committed to us to see that through causes our faith to rest on that. The second thing is that God responded to prayer. And it was prayer accordance with his will. Jesus said in John 15, 16, he said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And because I have chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit would remain whatever you ask in my name, I will do it for you. So our faith rests on this, that when we pray in accordance with the will of God, God answers those prayers. The third thing is that God is at work. God is at work. I believe that's, that's, that's one of the really big tests that we might be going through today. You might be going through. Chris and I are going through. I, Christianity in America. That's one of the reasons I mentioned to you about this Harvard research, because everything we hear is that Christianity is shrinking. It's being marginalized. It doesn't count. We're losing the war. And yet the facts show something different. Praise God. Praise the Lord. And so God is at work. Um, he's at work behind the scenes. Uh, we have been praying uh, for a number of things. Chris and I have been, and it seems to me that the longer I serve the Lord, the more he stretches my patience. Does anyone else notice this? Yeah. When I was young, boy, it seemed I'd pray and God answer, you know, just like that. Now, uh, he seems slow concerning his promise. He's really not slow, but it's like with the Orioles pitchers. If, if you follow baseball, they bring them spring training, and they do what they call stretching them out so they can, if need to, they can, they can pitch a full nine innings. But you don't, you don't start out pitching nine innings. You start out with one inning. Then there's a pitch count, and you keep on working up to that it seems at this point in my life, I think God wants me to go extra innings. That's what it's feeling like. But so we've been praying and we've been diligently and just, and there have been times when we've, we've just, I have to, I have to say this, that we, we've, we've gone through some times where we say, oh God, when are you going to answer? We're not feeling anything. We're not seeing anything. We, and, and, and we just, if we could just see that you were at work in our life, it would make the biggest difference to us. Um, recently, just recently, um, it just happened this week, to us, a prayer was answered for our family, and uh, a prayer of employment. And 
and we just thanked God so much. And I just said to, my, to Chris, I said, babe, I just feel like I can check that box off. God's at work. And my faith was built up. But I'm also finding this. Now, this is crazy. It's like you come to a place and your batteries, they get a charge, but they don't hold a charge like they did at one time. Is anyone else going through this like me? Or am I the only one? You know what I'm saying? You get encouraged, and then all of a sudden, and but we know God's word is true, so we keep going on. And, and we, we've been walking through this time. There's, there's situations, some things, just family things. It's like, oh, God, you know, when, when? So anyway, um, this past week, and, and I, I won't give any details, and, and it, it, uh, but my wife received a call from a friend, and, and this is what she said. And hadn't talked with her, didn't know anything going on. She said, I was driving along the interstate, and God impressed on me to pray for you. It was so strong and so heavy, I had to pull off on side of the road to pray. God compelled me to pray for you right now. And I was praying. This is what he showed me. He showed me that you're wearing armor that you're not comfortable wearing right now. And we have talked with it. We're not comfortable in this situation. We want our prayers answered. But there are several things. But the individual said, I want you to know, God wants you to know that he is at work. And I saw in the Spirit, there are angels that are warring that you cannot see, but they're warring on your behalf. And at God's promise, this is what, at his command, that this is going forward. And Chris shared this with me. And I'm going to tell you, how many know God is at work? praise his name. And I want to encourage you today that no matter what is happening in your life, that God is at work in ways that you and I cannot see. He sends his ministering angels even on our behalf. And you remember when Daniel, you remember when Daniel was praying in the book of Daniel, remember that? And he prayed and Michael the angel came and said, we heard your prayer. We heard your prayer, but the angel of this principality, we had to do warfare with that angel of that principality before God's answer would come through to you. And so, friends, I want to encourage you, don't give up. God is at work, and let our faith rest on that. He's at work. We'll leave the details to him. And then his favor is on us. Nehemiah said, the good hand of my God is upon me. Uh, in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And friend, as a child of God, I believe, I believe and I claim that the favor of God is on my life. You might say, well, how can you say that? Because I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I serve a good, good father. Nehemiah prayed, and God said, if you keep my commandments, if you return to me, if you take ownership of this situation, then I will act from heaven, and I'll regather people, even if they're flung to the farthest corners of the earth, I'll draw them back to this place that I've ordained so that my name will dwell among them. God wants his name to dwell among you and in you and in me. His favor is on our life when we call out to the Lord. So what are God's promises for you? I encourage you to write them down and say, Lord, I'm claiming this by your word. The second thing about Nehemiah is he took a faith risk. 
he took a faith risk. And I'm going to read verses 4 and 5, chapter 2. Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, that I may rebuild it. He demonstrated, Nehemiah demonstrated to God that Nehemiah was faithful to the work. How many know that if you want to catch fish, you have to have your line in the water? How many know that? Yes. There comes a time when you can fill in the sentence, I, uh, you have to fish or cut bait. There's other sayings that people use to finish that statement, but you have to fish or cut bait. There are times in our life when we have to take a faith risk in God. And I want to encourage you to, think, to seek counsel from the right people who are godly people and who believe in you. If you naturally tend towards safety and caution, or you're afraid of tomorrow, or, you're, or you sell yourself short, or you're afraid of success, don't seek counsel from those people who feel the same way. We'll find later that Nehemiah, when he came back to Jerusalem, he inspected the wall, the same wall that they had lived with for generations. But it takes often a new set of eyes to really allow us to focus on the reality of what God has. And I want to encourage you not to be afraid of success. Get some people around you. And if you say, I don't know if this is the Lord or what I should do, have people around you who believe in you, understand the will of God, understand that if you want to catch fish, you've got to throw your line in the water. You, it just doesn't happen by sitting there. And Nehemiah was willing to do this. And so what the occasion for this, there was a private, just a private banquet and how we know this is because the queen was there. It's just the queen and Artaxerxes. And the king Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah comes in, and something very unusual happened. He was so burdened for his own people that his countenance, his countenance was troubled. Nehemiah's countenance was. And you say, Pastor, what, what, what does that mean? Well, here's the deal. If you're a soldier, if you're a Marine and you're at the White House and you're on duty and you guard the White House, have you ever seen those guys that just salute or they stand like this? Nothing affects them. To be a cupbearer to the king and allow your personal problems to enter into service, that could be the end of you. It could be a death knell, in fact. And Nehemiah was such a godly, wise person who carried himself well and served and honored the king that was in front of them, but without even realizing, he came into the presence of the king and his countenance had just fallen. He's doing his work, but he forgot this part of, if you would, where he was. And when that happened, the king said, what, what's going on? And he said, my people, he told him, 
When an opportunity comes, be prepared when the king asks a question or when the king wants to show a favor. Be prepared with your life. Take advantage of your reputation, your qualities if you've served the Lord well. And, uh, and like Nehemiah, his speed, his drive, his wisdom, he was a proven asset. And all of those things that he had, a servant's heart, opened the king's heart. And here's the deal. Almost always, or in my life, almost it's, I, it's almost always in my life, God has a place of promotion for me, but it almost always involves someone else making the way for me in my life. It involved favor from someone else that would open a door. When the king asked, when the king asked, be prepared to give an answer. It's, that's not the time to say, well, could I have a week to write a proposal? That's the, how many know that's not how kings operate? Well, we had the privilege to serve at our national headquarters, Springfield, Missouri. I, I, I come in, the first, the, uh, they started putting me in these meetings. God's favor was on my life. I didn't ask for this. It was just there because because we needed to plant churches across the United States. And I'll never forget, they would, they would say, there's an order of the day, uh, Brother Dross. They call everyone brother. There's an order of the day. The general superintendent wants you here at this point right now. And the first meeting I went in like that, and they said, what, share the vision that you have. I shared the vision, and the general superintendent said to me, what can we do to help? Now, how many know, and this man did not want a proposal. He wanted an answer. He wanted an answer. And so right away I responded because when you carry something in your heart, when you carry something in your heart that God has given to you, you'll say it. Now notice what Nehemiah did. Notice what Nehemiah did. First of all, first of all he did not ask the king for help until the king asked him. And I've noticed there's two people in life. One gets ahead and one doesn't. I, and, I, and I'll just do this in reference to church planters, or uh, just, we'll just say church planters, because I've worked with hundreds and thousands of church planters. There are church planters who say, God has called me to a city. He's called me to a county. He's called me. There's something that's stirring in my heart. What do I have to do? What hoops do I have to jump through so I can have an opportunity to do it? I know God's big. His, his, my faith is strong. God wants people saved. He's going to provide. Can I have an opportunity to do it? They're the ones that make it. But the ones that come and say, well, yeah, we think maybe you'd like to plant a church because we really don't like working for that senior pastor, and it seems like it's the popular thing to do, and this is what I need. If you, I'll go plant a church if you do this first. They're the ones that don't make it. How many are following what I'm saying? Yes. So... Um, it's just, just the way it is. And, um, and so when the king comes, if you've honored the kingmaker, the waymaker, God will use that. You'll catch their attention. And so they asked the king to help him as a waymaker. This is what he asked him for. Not a lot, but for protection and provision. And he said, king, would you give me a guard to accompany me? And the king gave it to him because the king asked, and it was within his power to do so. 
Your attitude in life will determine your altitude in life. Your attitude will determine your altitude in life. If you see your lack is the reason you can't do something, you will not do it. But if you see that God is a big God, if you see that God wants his name to dwell there, if you see that God has a plan for your life, and that if I surrender my life to the Lord, if I trust God and believe in the Lord and live my very best life in front of him, that God is going to open the doors. God is going to open the doors for you. Praise his name. Amen. Now, the third thing is he was not surprised by opposition. Now, I love the first two points. I do not like the third point. He was not surprised by opposition. So, the king sent him back, and he had a guard, and he gave him provision, and he appointed him the governor of that region of Jerusalem. And he gave him access to the king's forest for timbers to rebuild the gates and to rebuild the doors and, and, and the frame of it and access to other things. And he came back, and look what verse number 10 says. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Sanballat was another governor, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, Tobiah was a member of a very well-known, historically well-known family in that region who were around for centuries, even though he was a servant and a slave, he was called an administrative official. When they heard it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. Now listen, not everyone is pleased at the plan that God puts into your heart. How many, how many are aware of that? Do you know that the enemy of your soul is out to still kill and destroy? He's to destroy your family. He wants to take your children from you. But Nehemiah was not surprised by the opposition. And sometimes we follow the Lord, and, and we've, got, we've, we've, we've got a hold of some bad theology that nothing's going to go wrong and everything is just right and the enemy's conquered on the cross and it's all victory and all this. And, and when something happens in our life, we're absolutely surprised and we're derailed as though we think the enemy should just let us alone. Listen, he does not waste bullets on dead soldiers. He doesn't do it. Nehemiah understood that the governor there, Sanballat, and Tobiah, when they opposed him, he knew what it was all about. And then later on, you see them writing letters back to the king saying, do you know what this guy's doing? He's trying to rebuild Jerusalem. There's going to be a revolt, and they're going to try to overthrow you. He was not surprised. And he was also not surprised that they, that they would keep coming back. And I want to encourage you this morning that the enemy of our soul, you say, Pastor, how is this going to encourage you? I just want to paint the picture. He's going to keep coming back. He's going to keep coming back. But greater is he within us than he that's in the world. How many? I believe that today. I don't like this part. But I don't like on Wednesday night after we've had a, good meeting here and all these kids and families and we take our grandkids to 
McDonald's and they filled up, they want the largest orange drink possible at McDonald's and fries and all this junk food and you know they just they love that I don't like when I pull in the garage and hit that remote on Wednesday nights you know what's staring me in my face there's two trash cans recycle and regular and they've got to go out every Wednesday night and guess what next Wednesday night they got to go out and guess what Sunday night stuff tonight also has to go out and so as we serve the Lord we are not surprised concerning the fiery darts of the enemy that come against us. It's just a matter of, of what it is. And then the fourth thing is Nehemiah under-promised and over-delivered. So he came there in Nehemiah 11 and 12, and I'll read verse 12. And I arose in the night, I and a few men, they were now in Jerusalem. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem and there was no animal with me except the animal in which I was riding. As a leader, he did what he did because he cared. And then he considered the people that he was leading. Discretion is the better part of valor in leadership. He, didn't, he did not, he did not, let them know what he was about until he, had, he did his homework. And so what happened? He went out at night, just went out by himself. He had his, uh, his mount, he was riding it, and the walls that he were inspecting, to, just to give an idea, the, the walls of ancient Jerusalem were two and a quarter miles around, about two and a quarter miles. So you say, well, Pastor, how long is how far is that from here? How many where Mount Zion Church is? Okay, that intersection by the new car wash. By the way, I love that car wash. I got a gift certificate for Father's Day. I'm telling, I love pulling in there, and it washes, it dries, you know, and free vacuums and in and out. I just love that thing. Okay. But right there is two miles. If you go another quarter of a mile, that's two and a quarter miles. How many know that's a lot of, that's a lot of wall to rebuild? Now, it wasn't all torn down, but sections were torn down. And he inspected just a half mile of that. A half mile in the middle of the night is from here to McDonald's. The, the McDonald's right up the road. It's midnight. He's out there by himself. And in fact, he came to a place where, the, where there was such rubble, when King Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem, he tore down this section of wall and his animal couldn't go over it. And Nehemiah evidently crawled up on it or went around it, but his animal couldn't go there. And he went back. So then he came back, he did his homework. And what he did as a leader, he under-promised, but he over-delivered. Now the fifth thing is this. He recruited people to a big cause, a God cause that energizes people. Verses 17 and 18, then I said to him, to them rather, he came back, he gathered officials from Jerusalem, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words 
which spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. He came back as a leader. He painted the picture of urgency, and he said, you see the trouble we're in. What Jerusalem lacked was a leader with conviction. They had been demoralized for a few generations. And he said, let us rebuild. He identified himself. I want to do this with you. A new set of eyes so we'll no longer suffer reproach. And then he recounted to them God's favor and the king's favor. In other words, we're not in this thing alone. We're not in this thing alone. Grace Assembly of God, we've built certain just different steps along the way. I had, and I had someone the other day say, oh my goodness, I can't believe what God is doing. You know, it's just, to me, it's just a grind. But God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. We move when we believe God wants us to move. But he recounted to them God's favor and the king's favor. We're not in this thing alone. And where you are in your family, your job situation, your neighborhood, you're not in this thing alone. God has a life for you. And when he did that, they said, let us arise and build. And they put their hands to the work. And then guess what happened in verse 20? He had to face opposition again head on. And his friend, Sanballat Tobiah, came back. And they said, yap, 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 yap. And in verse 20, he said, listen, you, God will give us success, and we are going to start to build. As for you, you have no share, no historic right, and you have no future in this place. I want to encourage you to declare that to the enemy that's facing you. No share, no historic right, and you have no future. God is at work. And he said, if you read chapter 3, chapter 3 begins this, and so Eliashib the priest and the other priest began to work on the wall. Now how many know God is really moving when the preachers begin to do physical work? How many know that? They were leading the way. I want to encourage you. I believe God has a breakthrough for you. This is what Nehemiah is all about. But God God wants us to take a faith risk. He wants us to know that what he has, he wants his name to dwell there. We don't have to live in defeat, but God's called us to victory. Some of us, he's stretching our patience out. But God is at work. And God's plan, God's plan, is for his name to dwell there and for you, for you to have success that God has. Praise his name. Amen. Praise his name. Praise God. I'd like you to bow your heads with me.